Happy Sunday, everybody. It is July 16th, 2023. My name is Josh, and I am just another Mike on the Vikes. Uh, you can find me online at jlime8 on Twitter, Mike on the Vikes on a Facebook, or Ultimate Drive Home, all one word, at gmail.com. Um, welcome to the Mike on the Vikes podcast. Like I said, my name is Josh. I'm not sure exactly how available this podcast is. I know Spotify, Apple, and iHeart are um our carriers of it maybe even cast box i'm still trying to make sure that's all available so if you do listen on one but you prefer a different if you're listening to this on something you prefer a different uh platform please reach out to me and let me know so i can figure out if i'm doing that right the tech side of things is not where i excel um this is the second episode of mike and Vikes podcast and last week's was pretty rambly pretty um mundane if you might you might say so i hope to have a little bit more content a little bit more um, targeted things to discuss in this episode. So thanks for coming back. Thanks for listening. And um, we'll go from there. Um, the first thing I want to do in this, uh, basically this is going to be an episode in a couple parts. And the first part is going to be discussing the Vikings run game heading into the 2023 season. Um, my blog, MikeOnTheVikes.com, on Thursday I posted um, something about how the Vikings have to desperately improve their run game in 2023. And not saying that they didn't amass a bunch of yards. They just need to get better. They need to get more consistent. And so I'm going to go into some of those things that I mentioned. Um, if you prefer the written piece, please uh, head on over to the blog. If not, um, hopefully I can explain things a little bit better um, now while I'm speaking instead of um, what I wrote. And then after that, I'd like to uh, play a little game by myself called Because Of or In Spite Of. And uh, <laughs> I'm not going to give you much more than that until I get there, but just suffice it to say, it deals with quarterbacks because as you all have probably been doing lately, I've been watching and I just finished the season of quarterback that had ours, uh, our quarterback, Kirk Cousins, as one of the uh, one of the main characters, so we'll get into that later on. So that's a little bit of a tease if that's something you're interested in. Anyway, the Vikings run game. Um, what I said in my article, the title was that it has to improve the run game efficiency in 2023, and basically that means that our running game had moments. We had some good moments. Dalvin Cook is not a bad player, uh, but our offensive line wasn't that terrible in running blocking per se. Um, but we have this, we would have these moments that we'd have these little streaks as sections of games where we would just go three and out, three and out, three and out. And while, yes, there are more factors than just not having a great running game all the time. But in my opinion, I think that's one of the biggest contributors. When you are, you know, it's sometimes it's predictable. Sometimes the Vikings fell into that pattern where they run on first and 10. You know, the idea is get four or five yards. You have a second and and five or shorter, or second and five, second and six, that gives you a lot of options in the playbook. You can take a shot and still have a realistic and a manageable third down. Um, but I found that we had a lot of times where our third downs were thirds and eights, thirds and nines, thirds and tens even. And while you have a great passing game, you have Kirk Cousins to Justin Jefferson, which is a very reliable first down conversion option, it's just not an ideal place to be. And even the best offenses – you know, it's hard to get eight yards when the defense knows that if they let you run the ball, they can still get to you before you get eight yards. Like, it's just obvious football stuff. And so it sounds silly, but I do think the, one of the biggest areas for improvement is the Vikings run game. And not just in terms of how many yards and touchdowns they get on the ground, but in more so in terms of efficiency and consistency. Um, and you know, my article talks about, well, you know, obviously the defense was the biggest issue last year. I do think that our running game wouldn't have been, you know, definitely wasn't the biggest issue on this team. The biggest issue on our team was our offense put up points where our defense could not stop anybody. So our offense had to be perfect every game. And, you know, you're not always going to be perfect. They weren't perfect in the Giants playoff loss, no, for sure. But if we had a better defense, if we had stopped allowing the Giants to move the ball so efficiently, um, in fact, in that quarterback series on Netflix, Cousins mentioned that, you know, they only ran a certain amount of plays that, was low for what a team in the NFL should average on offense. And so that the defense is its whole other thing. And we all know that needs to get better. And we could dive into that for hours. But I think one thing that gets overlooked a little bit is our running game, because you have Dalvin Cook, who was a pro bowler again, who ran for over a thousand yards. And it just that just seems like it's a good running game. And Dalvin Cook is a good running back. And he had some really important explosive plays for us last year. And I do mention that in my article. I don't 
you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not going to hate on Dalvin Cook in this, in, the, in this episode. He is a great running back, has been a great running back. But what I talk about is that it's time for him to move on. Um, my one of my uh, one of my colleagues at the last place I wrote for, um, John, John uh, his name is John Boyd. You follow him on Twitter at at Johnny B. And he, you know, he when we were talking about this, you know, in the middle of last season and maybe in the right of the when the off season was very fresh we would discuss that there are some metrics with Dalvin Cook's running that were just really alarming. So, because if you look at his overall stats, yeah, he had over a thousand yards. He had a decent amount of touchdowns, but he only averaged 69 yards per game. His yards per carry number was the lowest he's ever had as a Viking. Um, His yards per attempt after contact. And that's one of the bigger ones for me because yeah, sorry. Yards per yard, lowest yards per after contact per attempt with one point eight. Sorry, that's a mouthful to say. And a second hardest yards before contact. And so, yes, I know that numbers and stats aren't going to say everything, but but to me that is that 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 equates and is similar, and it makes sense given what I watched as a fan. What I watched as a fan was a Dalvin Cook that still had the breakaway speed, and he would make those big plays when he got those openings, and he was great. But when he wasn't getting a wide open gap to run through. He was getting one, two, maybe three yards, a lot of runs for losses. And it just felt like he was stuffed at the line all the time. Now, is that all Dalvin Cook's fault? No. But did he look less dynamic in the years past as far as my from my fans' perspective? Yes. And that's, that's why I'm saying that I'm not saying we needed to get him out of here to get better. What I'm saying is we saved a lot of money by releasing him as we did. We gave Madison a two-year deal. And now we're going to give Madison Turner's heart. And I don't, there's still some people that are wondering why we would give up on a player like Dalvin Cook. And we're not giving up. He, he deserves to go try to get paid somewhere else. Um, he's definitely earned it. Running backs in this day and age have to struggle, have to fight, have to make sure they're not getting screwed over in contract because they, they take a beating um, every season and they're valuable to a team. But what we're noticing, what I'm seeing across the league is that more teams are going to a committee Um and more teams are not, you know, with the exception of this year, we had two running backs go in the first round, but it's still pretty rare to see a running back draft that high. You know, and even your B. Sean Robinson's and Jameer Gibbs are not going to necessarily get 25 carries a game. It's just not the way the NFL works anymore. And so when you take a player like that who's getting, I think Dalvin was the sixth highest paid running back last year. And when you take a player like that, he's getting top 10 money for his position. And yeah, he made the Pro Bowl. He ran for over a thousand yards. He had some key touchdown runs. Think of the Miami game. Think of the Buffalo game. Think of his screen pass in the in the Indianapolis game when he, you know, scored it to bring to bring us back in the biggest comeback in NFL history. He did a lot of great things, but um, it just wasn't that when you look deeper at the numbers and his production, it wasn't efficient. It wasn't consistent. And he was too expensive, and that's that's the that's the truth of it. Um, if you look at the Miami game, for example, outside of his 53-yard touchdown run, he had 24 rushing yards. Without his 81-yard run against Buffalo, he recorded 38 yards, and that's on 13 other attempts. So do those big runs count? Yeah, they for sure do. Were they important? 100%. But if you really, you know, if you pick and choose a little bit there just to see overall the overall picture you're not looking at a dynamic running back that should be paid as a top top 10 running back so we gave madison a two-year contract do i think madison's as dynamic as delvin cook probably not but do i think a guy that knows the playbook who's always come in and we've never missed a step i think it's a great idea give him the reins at the at, to start and then um what i wrote in my blog is that you have these two guys ty chandler Dwayne mcbride um Ty Chandler is coming into his second year as a pro. Dwayne McRide was drafted this year in the seventh round. You have these two guys who I think are more than capable of contributing right out of the gates as a rookie. Um, without getting, going into all the minutiae, you know, when I looked at, did some film study, watched some highlight reels on Ty Chandler and Dwayne, Dwayne McBride, I kind of looked at their college highlights specifically. Um, Ty Chandler had some nice runs in the preseason last year, but that's about all we have. That's a small sample size. It's not against the full competition. So I thought it made more sense to see what type of runners they were in college when, you know, when they were used as their team's primary running back, you know, and I looked at four kind of main things. And again, I'm not a scout. I'm not an analytics guy per se. Um, So I'm not going to, you know, (laughs) I'm not going to give you any earth shattering information here. It's just kind of my take on what I saw. And if I looked at the speed, the vision, the elusiveness, and the receiving ability, those are kind of four categories I, I just decided that made sense for running back. 
Um, Ty Chandler seems much faster than Dwayne McBride. His 40 time was much faster. Um, Dwayne McBride played also in a smaller conference, Conference USA, where Ty Chandler played in the ACC. And Dwayne McBride would get out to the second level, get out to the secondary, and you have a big gaping hole. He just never really ran away from people. And if you're not doing that in Conference USA, I don't know if you can really do that in the NFL. Does that mean he doesn't have a job in the NFL? No, that just means that, you know, when we look at the speed thing, if we're trying to replace the Dalvin Cook speed, which he clearly still had last year, where he outran the Miami defense and the Buffalo defense, um, you know, Ty Chandler's going to have the edge there. But vision, though, was an interesting one. And this is where I thought Dwayne McBride actually um, was better than Ty Chandler. Um, Ty Chandler's highlight reels, a lot of runs where they were wide open, a lot of draw plays from the shotgun uh, formation with North Carolina, who had a pretty decent passing offense. And then uh, with Sam Howell, who was a who was a pretty sought-after quarterback, or pretty relatively highly touted uh, quarterback prospect coming into the NFL, and he's going to get a chance to start this year, but that's a different conversation. Anyway, Ty, Ty Chandler looked like he had a lot of big runs on plays that were designed very well, draw plays where he hit the hole and ran. And we saw a little bit of that in the preseason last year. He definitely did a nice job running north and south, finished his runs. He's a tough runner. But what I didn't see Ty Chandler do was have to make a lot of cuts. I didn't ha- didn't see him have to read a lot of blocking schemes. And so I, th- I just think it's to be determined. And what the reason I bring that up is because Dwayne McBride showed a little bit more of that at the college level, a little bit more of you know, having to sift through, having to be patient at the line of scrimmage, making sure that you don't hit the wrong hole so that you're going to get some yards in a positive way. So if we gave Ty Chandler the speed argument, we're going to give Dwayne McBride the vision argument. We're also going to give Dwayne McBride the elusiveness one because McBride was more subtly like elusive than Ty Chandler. Again, Ty Chandler looks like a really good north-south runner. Didn't see him do a ton of jukes. And again, I don't want a running back that dances. No one's going to replicate what Barry Sanders was able to, to do way back then. But, um, you know, when you look at, you know, I watched, I was watching some other YouTube videos about people analyzing Dwayne McBride, and I can't remember who it was. Um, but they, someone mentioned, you know, the subtle elusiveness that Dwayne McBride has. It might have actually been uh, Luke Braun at Locked On Vikings. I'm not sure. It's a good podcast, too, if you ever need another one to listen to. Um you know, but the way he kind of sets up the angle so it makes it a little bit harder for the defender to tackle him or push him out of bounds. Um, and if you watch it with that kind of knowledge, you know, or if that was at the forefront of while you're watching some highlights of Dwayne McBride, you do see him, um, in a you know, in a subtle way, be pretty elusive. Again, seventh round pick. I'm not saying that Ty Chandler or Dwayne McBride are going to come in and lead the backfield. That's for Madison. That's he's earned a chance. Um, but I'm talking about a committee. All teams need to have a committee, and I think both of these guys will be able to contribute. But I actually think that we should lean for Ty Chandler unless training camp and the preseason is so vastly in in McBride's favor. And that's because uh, Ty Chandler has a good amount of highlights where he uh, on wheel routes out of the backfield, catching the ball like a receiver, making huge plays out of the backfield that way. In In this day and age, NFL, you have to be able to catch out of the backfield. And Ty Chandler, 31 total receptions his last two college seasons. I looked at McBride's number. He's McBride's number. He only had five in his last two college seasons, five total receptions. Could he still be a perfectly capable receiving back in the NFL? Absolutely. Uh, but until we see that, I think I want to give the nod to Ty Chandler. And this is all just to say, if Madison's our starter, we know that in this NFL, unless you have a Derrick Henry, unless you have a Nick Chubb, Christian McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor, you are probably spitting, spinning, splitting, sorry, not spitting, splitting carries at least or close to 50-50. Now, I think Madison, with his experience and the fact that he hasn't had a, a big beating of a season, I think the Vikings are going to lean on him quite a bit. I'd like to see about a 60 to 70% um, you know, carry share for, for Alexander Madison. But when the other guys come in, I think we should lean Chandler. Um, the only other factor um, that we'll have to wait and see once the McBride starts to get some some reps is pass protection because obviously your second or your back that comes in on third downs, or if Madison gets hurt, it's gotta be someone that can pick up a blitz. Um, this Vikings offensive line has some good pieces. It's not perfect. We need a running back who can block. So anyway, uh, when I look at the Vikings running game, we have to improve and I think we will improve. And it's also without, I'm not sure we're going to replace Dalvin's breakaway speed, but I don't think that's what we want. I don't think we want a running game. That's, get stuffed, get stuffed, get stuffed, huge breakaway. 
What I think we want is we want Madison to average near five yards of carry. We want Ty Chandler and Dwayne McBride to come in as a change of pace and pick up some big first downs. I'd rather on those long touchdown runs, I'd rather have that instead be a long touchdown drive where we eat up six, seven minutes off the clock. Um, and I just think the, the biggest thing we can do is have a running game that's going to help us get into manageable second, third down opportunities so that we don't get stuck in these ruts where we have nothing but three and outs because I saw so many of those last year. And honestly, um, our offense is so good. It's really frustrating to see a bunch, a string of three and outs. Um, and I think it'll help our defense. As our defense tries to improve. It should, it should improve. We have a lot of young guys that have more experience. We have Brian Flores instead of Donatel. Our defense should improve regardless. But imagine if that defense improves, our Viking, our, the offense has less three and outs, and we're putting a pre- the pressure on the opposing offense to make more plays, um, knowing that they really can't stop our offense. Um, and I, I think that just it just all makes sense to me in that regard. So we have to get an improvement in the running game, and not just in total numbers, but in efficiency and in consistency. And I think um, we're set up decently well to do that. I'm not going to – I don't think we need to go out and get a free agent running back. I'm not – looking at Zeke Elliott right now, um, not looking at uh, Kareem Hunt. You know, if, if the Vikings coaching staff think those guys have what it takes and they bring them in, by all means, I, I want them to be successful. But I just think it's time to go with more of a committee. It's time to lean on Madison, Ty Chandler, who's got a year with the playbook, and then a rookie that can, that can provide some spark. Um, I think that's what we go with with our running game. Um, also, um, kind of a not – a, not a side note at all, but something that might've been gotten forgotten because it happens might've been forgotten because it happened so early in the off season. The Vikings signed Josh Oliver to a three-year deal as a tight end. He played with Baltimore last year. Um, you know, it was one of those signings where it was so early in the off season. It wasn't really diving into ton yet. And I just said, I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, you know, it's, it seemed expensive for a second tight end. Uh, but, but everyone was like, yeah, he's a really good blocking tight end. And I was like, okay, well, that's good. Um, but as I started thinking about the running game, I re- reminded myself that this is actually a, could actually be a huge signing for the Vikings going into next year because obviously TJ Hawkinson is going to be on the field almost every play. Um, a great all-around tight end, one of quickly became one of Kirk's um, one one of Kirk's favorite targets. One of his like a safety blanket, uh, as people say uh, over the middle, especially. But Josh Oliver, I watched some of his highlights. I watched some of his tape. Um, his blocking is really good. He lived up to what people were saying. He finishes blocks. You know, if he's just chipping a guy, he'll immediately go find the next guy. He does not stop until he finds someone to block, and then he blocks him to the whistle. He had some also some highlight reel catches, which, um, you know, could just be flashes in the pan. I'm not saying we should, you know, target him six, seven, eight times a game. But, you know, when you have a 12 personnel look, right, when you have two, two tight ends on the field, I think you feel good if you have TJ Hawkinson and Josh Oliver because you have one that's a bonafide receiver that people are going to say, we have to make sure he's covered, which means you're not doubling Josh Oliver. And then you can run out of that, but you can also pass out of that. And I just think that that's a subtle, like not sneaky move, but I think that's a really solid move. It's not one of those splashy free agent moves, but it's one that you say, okay, this made our, this made our team better. It's made our offense better. A guy who can help out with the run blocking, probably a little bit in pass protection. Um, you know, to kind of chip down on the tackle to help you out and then make can be available to catch a pass if you need it. I just think it's a nice, you know, a nice way to address something on our offense that wasn't necessarily a problem, but a way to just bolster our offensive personnel, I think. You know, because our receiving core, especially after drafting Jordan, Jordan Addison, I was as sad as anybody to see Adam Thielen go, but I think we have still plenty of firepower with with uh, JJ. I loved KJ Osborne last year. I think he's going to be better than people expect because everyone's focusing on Jordan Addison already. Um, but we just have so many options already that Josh Oliver seems like the nice role player piece that fits in. And so I'm very excited to see how he fits in and the impact he can have. And I think that might end up being one of the bigger things we did we we did we did in the off season. So so anyway, again to sum up, we have to do better in the run game not just on numbers, but in consistency and efficiency. And I like the idea that we're going, or should be going with more of a committee. Madison will get the majority of the touches, uh, but I think I'm hoping that we'll see a lot of Ty Chandler, Dwayne McBride um, filling out that crew and, and really making an impact. So, and assuming our running game gets better and our defense gets better, I mean, really what's, what's the next step? It's gotta be Super Bowl. <laughs>
but that's that delusion that you'll hear from me quite a bit. Yes, I think everything we do is is a step closer to the, the Super Bowl. You know, it's tough to be this optimistic. It really is. It's a lot easier to hate on everything. So um, I should get more credit for that. But that's a conversation for a different day. Um, instead, I want to move on to my second discussion, which is a game that I invented for myself, by myself, called Because Of, dot, 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 in spite of, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and, you know, I was watching the Netflix series called Quarterback. And, you know, some people are saying it's the greatest thing ever. Some people are saying it's overdone. It's not that exciting. I'm kind of in the camp where it's good. It's very well put together, obviously. Um, I think I like it more because Kirk Cousins is in there um, because he's my guy. But obviously, Patrick Mahomes is a very interesting player in the NFL. He's one of the the best right now, if not the best. You know, and then the Marcus Mariota stories were were really interesting as well. Um, It's anytime you get to know professional athletes, you know, remind yourself that they're normal people and things like that. It's, it's, it's pretty fun. So if another season comes out with three different quarterbacks, I'll probably watch it for sure. Um, may not be as impactful, you know, cause when it's your, when it's your guy at quarterback, you get, um, I feel like you get a little bit more out of it, but I saw someone post about this on Twitter and then I watched it as Kirk mentioned it in, in the documentary and he quotes Margaret Thatcher. He says, if I walked on water, they as in my credits would say it's because I can't swim. Um, and you know, that got me thinking about the narrative surrounding Kirk cousin. And then that exploded in my brain, my imagination too. Well, how would this narrative apply to all the quarterbacks in the NFL? And what that means is I do think Kirk cousins gets a little bit of a raw deal in terms of narrative and what people think of him. Now, before we go any further, I'm not going to say that Kirk cousins is a top five quarterback. He's not. So calm down. If, if you see, but I support him. He's my quarterback. I do think he's above average and I do think he's very good. Um, I exist in a weird area called the middle ground when it comes to Kirk Cousins. Um, if you're like me and you're part of a billion Facebook groups on, um, on the Vikings content and you follow people on Twitter and you watch a bunch of content in the off season about the Vikings and football and you watch good morning football and you know, all these things you start, the narrative becomes the easy way to talk about a player and I kind of get it from a national media standpoint, right? You have so many guys to look at. You can't do deep dives statistically on all of them all the time. I mean, you have people that do that for you, but you can kind of tell that it's a, it's a little bit lazy at times and it's just kind of easy to go with what the consistent narrative is. And partially because the narrative can be true, right? We know that, you know, the narrative about Patrick Mahomes being crazy good, a generational talent and making plays without that you can't predict. That's all true. He does it day in, day out. Excuse me. And so, so I'm not saying the narratives aren't fully true all the time, but in what I'm trying to set the stage for is that Kirk does get a little bit of a raw deal. And then I'm prefacing that by saying, I'm not going to come on here and say Kirk is the best of all time. I'm not going to come on and say he's terrible. I'm in the middle ground where I think he's a good to above average quarterback that with a good to above average team around him can win us a Super Bowl. Like, I don't think we need to get rid of him and hope to you know, tank and then, and then really hit on a quarterback, you know, down the road, we might have to down the road, you know, one of the formulas for winning, you have Jalen hurts in the Super Bowl last year on a rookie deal, right? You know, so you have money to build out the rest of your team. So that is a strategy going forward. But right now this team is ready to compete because Kirk is good enough to help us compete. And so thinking about that, thinking about kind of the raw deal he gets with the narrative, that's how I got because of in spite of, because I thought to myself, well, which quarterbacks in the league would win a game? And then the pundits, the fans, the media, everybody would say, well, they won because of this player. And then for which quarterbacks would you say the team won in spite of that character? Of course, meaning that because of mean they made the plays, they won the game. They're important. They're great. In spite of means, well, the quarterback didn't play well. Quarterback's not great, but the team's good enough and they won, even though their quarterback did that. That's kind of how I looked at it. And as I started grouping guys, I found, <laughs> and of course, this is all in my opinion. Um, as I started grouping guys in these two categories, I realized that I was basically just ranking uh, starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, and it's, it's you know, so it, ter- it turned into a really obvious ex- exercise of, well, these guys are the better quarterbacks in the NFL and these guys are not because some of them are very obvious. Um, so, so what I want you to think about here is that think of because of and in spite of as two tiers of the NFL starting, starting quarterback, at least on paper as it stands today, going into the 2023 season. And I want you to think about the names I say and think about, do you think that, do you agree with me that this is a player that wins and is the team wins because of this player or the team wins in spite of this player? 
And then I'm going to wrap it all in at the end and say that this is why I think Kirk Cousins gets a little bit of a raw deal because, you know, spoiler alert, I think a lot of people would say we win in spite of Kirk Cousins at times. You know, last year he had eight game-winning drives. He threw for 4,500-plus yards. We were 13-4, and four, made it to the playoffs. Um, and so you might be thinking, well, no, we won a lot of games because of Kirk Cousins. True. But when you look at certain plays at one of those games, Justin Jefferson was more highly talked about in terms of contributing to victories. And by all means, he should. He's the best receiver in the league. I love him, and I want to pay him forever <laughs> to stay in purple. Um, you know, And then everyone looks at the last play of our season, which was a fourth and eight that Cousins checked down to Hawkinson. Was that a bad, bad decision, bad read? Yeah. But did he even have time to make a deeper throw? The pass rush wasn't there. Our defense, we 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 couldn't stop anyway. The only reason we had that upper, that drive to tie it up at the end anyway is because um, Darius Slayton from the Giants dropped a wide open crossing route because we left the middle of the field open all game. Shouldn't even have got to that point. We didn't shouldn't have even had that opportunity. So my point is, you know, you know, we Kirk does so many of these great things, and we. I think a lot of people recognize that. I think fans that are, that follow rationally realize that Kirk does a lot and, con- and contributes a lot. And we do win because of him at various times. But I think the national narrative in some, some, in some ways would say that the Vikings win in spite of Kirk Cousins, right? We win because we have Justin Jefferson. We win because, you know, we got lucky last year and we won all those close one possession games. So, um, and maybe last year Kirk started to get a little bit more of the respect. And I think maybe when people watch the quarterback documentary, people are going to be affected by that. And they're going to say, well, looks like he does put in the work and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I just thought it was a fun exercise because, you know, you could argue with me and say, no, you could be someone that you're a big Kirk guy and you always give him credit when he leads us to victory. Um, But there's still plenty of people out there that just think he's paid way too much. He gets too many garbage time stats. His stats are always inflated, but they're not always great. About yada, 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 right? When we look at those three and outs I was discussing and I was blaming the running game, some people might blame Kirk for that, blame for the inconsistencies, um, sometimes getting stuck on one guy. And these are all like legitimate flaws. But does that mean we're winning in spite of him? Um, I don't know. So I think he gets a little bit of a raw deal there. So anyway, that's where my imagination went. So I'm going to go through my list of where I think the narrative says people teams win because of these quarterbacks or in spite of. Uh, it's obviously not perfect, and I did not look at stats at all for this. Um, and to get it out of the way, there are some quarterbacks that are too soon to tell on, right? I'm not going to include Sam Howell, Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Jordan Lover, Tesman Ritter. Um, just young. These are the guys on starting quarterbacks that I think are too young. Most they're all rookies this year, or last year, who haven't really had a lot of starting experience. So I don't know if the narrative is fully developed there. We're still waiting to see what um, people think. Okay. So let's do the because of list. I think this one is a little bit easier because it's obvious, right? People would say the Bills win because of Josh Allen. People would say the Ravens win because of Lamar Jackson. The Jets are already being talked about as a Super Bowl contender because of Aaron Rodgers, because of the impact he has. The narrative saying that Aaron Rodgers is, you win because you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers. And I would generally agree with that. He's an MVP caliber, all generational talent, going to the Hall of Fame. You know, but he also can't beat the 49ers in the playoffs. (laughs) So what do you say about that? Josh Allen has had so many key turnovers that he hasn't made it to the Super Bowl yet. And the Bills are a perennial uh, Super Bowl favorite to uh, to contend. So, and and again, I'm using this as a way to kind of tier the quarterbacks. So obviously Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers are going to be in the top tier of quarterbacks, right? Lamar Jackson, when he's healthy, is one of the biggest playmakers in the league. I also have Pat Mahomes. That's an obvious one. Um, people even say that they say it doesn't matter how bad the chiefs defense is or injuries on the offensive line, or they don't have an alpha receiver. They have Pat Mahomes. That's a because of player to Vailoa, who hasn't necessarily gotten tons of credit, I would say, but people, I feel like, like we're hating on him before last year and last year when he was healthy, he really showed out. Um, yeah, the, Everyone thought Tyreek Hill was going to suffer fantasy-wise, you know, when you're thinking about those terms. But Tua was able to get him the ball. I think Tua put himself on the map as a guy that makes a team win because of his play less than or more so than they win in spite of him. Um, I include Matthew Stafford on this list. Matthew Stafford won a Super Bowl a few years ago. Um, and 
when he was on the Lions, I, as a Vikings fan, even remember saying, wow, tough, this is a tough break for this guy. He's a great quarterback. He's tough as nails. He's just in Detroit, so he's never going to win there. And it was true. But as soon as he goes to L.A. first year, first year in L.A., he wins the Super Bowl. And Matthew Stafford's always been someone who's prone to a lot of turnovers as well. But it, I still think that, you know, people would say the Rams won the Super Bowl because of Matthew Stafford. They had made it to the Super Bowl. Jared Goff couldn't get over the hump. They had a good defense. They they sold out for, for Jalen Ramsey to get to all the talent they could alongside Aaron Donald. They brought in Matthew Stafford. They won a Super Bowl. But people gave him credit for, for being a big part of that, of course. Next on my list, we have Joe Burrow, Cincinnati Bengals. Most, I think most everybody would say the Bengals win because of Joe Burrow. And again, totally true. He survived nine sacks in the, the playoff game against the Titans a couple of years ago and found a way to win. Um, so again, not saying that the guys on this list are bad. Of course, these are the top tier. I, I think I mentioned it briefly as I was explaining this game. Initially, I think I went into it thinking narrative was going to be a kind of more of, like, I was thinking of it in terms of narrative. But what I found out was that the narrative really is just how the quarterbacks are ranked, right? How you would rank the quarterbacks. All the names I've said so far would be considered top half of the league quarterbacks. You know, last year, notwithstanding for Matthew Stafford, if Stafford comes in hurt again, um, then yeah, he, then, or, or just he's, he's, you know, he's done. He's on the, on the downturn of his career. Obviously you're going to have, um, he's not going to be on that list. Um, another obvious one is, uh, or not obvious one, actually, then uh, Kyler Murray is the opposite of obvious because I think some people right now are really anti Kyler Murray with the contract situation and um, some of the other antics, the fact he's been kind of hurt recently, but Arizona is projected to be one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. So many p- people that I read and follow and talk about and listen to are saying that the Arizona Cardinals are going to be one of the worst teams in the league. And so whenever they win a game, it's probably going to be because of Kyler Murray. And people are going to think it's because of that, because of his, excuse me, dynamic playmaking ability. Um, I have Dak Prescott question mark. Um, and the Dak Prescott's a little bit of an interesting one for the Cowboys because, you know, the nature of how he came to be a starter, he was a fourth round pick, I believe, you know, Tony Romo goes down, Dak Prescott comes in. It's a meritocracy that all that stuff, Tony Romo walked away and said, this guy is better. He's, you know, it was all that stuff went on. And I think we catapulted Prescott to a pedestal of he's one of the elite playmakers in this league. Um, you know, but, you know, past couple of years, some injuries he's been battling, some turnover prone games. But I still think that the leading narrative is that the Cowboys will win games because of Dak Prescott and his playmaking ability. And maybe not. That's my, that's might be one that you might be easily able to sway me because the Cowboys, especially last year, had proved that they have a really good defense. They have a solid offensive line. There's a lot around Dak to support him. Um you know, and so I think people started to maybe put some blame on him after some some poor turnovers that cost the Cowboys some games. Um, so that that one, I put a question mark that one. That one might be something that um, might be one that I should probably change now that I'm talking about. I see him on this list, and I'm like, I don't know. Um, but that's also because the, the Cowboys are going to get under be put under more scrutiny um, than other franchises just because they're the Dallas Cowboys. Um, but we'll move on for now. We have Jalen Hurts, uh, Philly one because of. Jalen Hurts, I think, more so than in spite of. And again, you would argue, well, yeah, but we also know that Jalen Hurts had one of the best offensive lines in the league, one of the best defenses in the league. Um, But I think you still say, I think people would still say that he is on the side of they win because of him, less more so than in spite of him. Um, Now, this one's interesting. I put Deshaun Watson on this list as because of. And I don't really want to give him too much runtime, so I'm still bothered that he's you know, seems to have gotten away with some um, some pretty horrific sexual assault sort of things. And so I'm not endorsing him as a player. But I think just the fact, even the last year he came in rusty and didn't play the whole season, um, he was given a fully guaranteed contract that made him like the highest paid quarterback in the league um, based on what he'd done before that. And in spite of all of those allegations and in spite of the, the stuff that he allegedly did, which was pretty terrible, so I think that's a pretty strong indicator that he's part of this because of narrative where teams feel like they win because of him uh, more so than in spite of him, obviously. And so we'll see how that pans out next year. If he's, you know, if he gets back to where he was before um, all the things that went down in Houston, you know, but Cleveland gave him a fully guaranteed contract and people are expecting Cleveland to be really competitive uh, if he's back to, to a top level quarterback. Um, I also uh, after that I have two Justins. I have Justin Fields of the Bears and Justin Herbert of the Chargers. Um, 
you know, you might say, you might argue that, well, yeah, Justin Fields, the Bears win because of Justin Fields because the Bears are bad. Um, but, you know, he, he's one of those, again, one of those dynamic playmaking quarterbacks. This year, the Bears actually had an offseason where they try to provide for him. So this will be, you know, this will be a pretty big year for the Justin Fields narrative because you still have people that don't think he's taken enough steps. Um, and then there's people like me who thinks that with a supportive, with a team that's improved around him, he's going to be really great. But I do still think, and, and maybe this is just my personal narrative, I do think the Bears will they'll win because of him um, and, and what he's able to do. Justin Herbert, you know, the, the Chargers had to overcome a lot last year in terms of injuries on the defensive end. They should have had a much better defense than they did. Um, some people would say that Justin Herbert and the Chargers win in spite of their coaching. Um, there was a lot of a lot to do, a lot made to do about the coaching of Brandon Staley and the Chargers last year, and how many times they went for a fourth down, and at the times they did that, and you know things like that. So, um, so that's another endorsement of the Justin Herbert. You win because of Justin Herbert. And then um, the last one on my list of win because of is Trevor Lawrence, because you have a quarterback who was drafted with the expectation that he's going to be a starter for the next 10 plus years in this league. And so anytime you have a player like that, when they do well, as he started to do last year, um, people are going to say you win because of him, especially considering the coaching nonsense they had the year before with Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. So you have Trevor Lawrence on that part of the list as well. And again, before I move on to the in spite of list, you're going to hear the names upcoming and you're going to say, well, yeah, you're just ranking the quarterbacks, Josh. You're just saying what I just listed were the best quarterbacks in the league, perhaps, or some of the best. Um, and what you're about to list are the ones that are worse. And that's kind of that is kind of what happened. <laughs> I think I mentioned at the beginning my my imagination was talking about narrative, but as I started to put guys into these narratives, it kind of turned into a tiered ranking, right? You have the tier I just laid out, and these guys are specific or considered, I guess, better than the guys I'm about to list. You know, so but I, the reason I wanted to list all of them, I want to bring it back to Kirk here a little bit, and then I'll get into some stats in a second. But I do think that there are some guys on that list that I'd rather have Kirk over than them, um, or at least Kirk should be in the discussion with them. And I think that's where I get a little bit, a little bit irked, not like super upset because you know Minnesota's always been flyover country, and until we're playing, you know, in the Super Bowl. Um, we don't t- technically usually get a lot of love um, in that regard. And so the because of guys, obviously, you, you might, or you might look at it and say, yeah, those are the guys that are the better quarterbacks in the league. And then you're going to hear my in spite of list, and you're going to say, well, yeah, these guys are, are probably <laughs> much lower on the list than everyone else. But I want you to listen to the, the names on the in spite of list, and I think Kirk Cousins is the best name on this list. Um, and I think you could argue Kirk Cousins perhaps better than – Dak Prescott, perhaps better than um, Matthew Stafford at this stage of his career. Um, you know, it's hard It's hard to compare Kirk to some of the more mobile quarterbacks. Um, you know, even like Trevor Lawrence, who's not considered a mobile quarterback because of his youth and because he has proven it more like the running ability. And I think, you know, I don't want I didn't want to simplify to that because they're, they're the fact that a lot of the guys in that because of list are running. I put quarterbacks that have running ability that create plays you know, that it's kind of important in this day and age. And I know Kirk doesn't do that. Um, and so that's why I'm not going to put him above, you know, he's not going to go above Lamar or Josh Allen or Pat Mahomes. Um, but I just I just think that he deserves to be closer to the discussion to some of these guys. That's kind of where I'm going with this. So anyway, here's the, <laughs> the notorious in spite of list. So the guys that I think people would say, or more people would say, their team wins in spite of them. And I should say that this doesn't necessarily mean they're always bad. This doesn't mean that, they make mistake, 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 and their team bails them out. This just means that, you know, the guys I just listed are guys that take their team to the next level as kind of a way to look at it and make extra plays, make better plays, make that more pinpoint throw. Um, you know, make, make that tough decision, make that right decision, make that clutch play, whatever you want to call it, you know, to, to will their team to victory. Whereas these guys in the in spite of list – are guys that I think people just view more as like the game manager, if I want to use a cliche term, right? These are the guys that keep their team in it when they minimize mistakes. If they have a good enough sort of rewarding cast, they can, they can do well. And that's kind of where I think that's why I'm bringing this up in regards to Kirk. Cause I think that maybe last year he changed some of that with his, you know, eight come from behind wins and a defense that was terrible, but I still think there will be people this year 
that at the first sign of him throwing a couple picks, the first sign of a Vikings loss, they're going to say, yep, Kirk Cousins isn't it. You just can't win with him. Like he gets all of that negativity and not necessarily all of the positivity when he's, you know, when he's, when he's really killing it. Um, so anyway, for example, the 49ers win in spite of Brock Purdy. That's what I'm assuming. Let's go with what, how the season ended if he's a starter. And that's not a knock on Brock Purdy. That's just saying 49ers have an elite defense, have an elite coaching staff, have an elite set of offensive weapons at the skill position. They just need a guy. Um, or last year, they proved that they just needed a guy um, to be competitive. Brock Purdy won a ton of games, took them to the deep end of the playoffs. They just couldn't quite go over the hump. But I don't think anyone would say the 49ers – you know, one game is because of Brock Purdy. Jared Goff in Detroit, right? You have a team that had one of the best offenses in the league, best passing offenses in the league. And still, you know, even myself, I still don't know if Jared Goff is the guy that takes them over the hump. You know, we'll see this year because Detroit really worked on improving their defense in the offseason. But um, but I've, I've, there's still question marks around Jared Goff. And, you know, partially it's probably because he's been to a Super Bowl and wasn't really prolific offensively and the Rams moved on from him like that, that create helps create that narrative. And that's kind of where I'm getting at with this. Like, you know, I, I could look at some of the numbers last year. I don't know exactly where Jared Goff would rank, but I bet they're not terrible necessarily. Um, and then he, he, he will have some untimely turnovers, like some things that would really lead you to say, well, you know, this is why, but I feel like for that, for a guy like that, you know, when Jared Goff makes a ter- turnover, people are like, well, you know, what do you expect? He's Jared Goff. But when like Josh Allen makes turnover, it's well, he's trying to make a play or he's creating things and he just gets over his else. You know, things like that. I think that's kind of part of the narrative here where you have these guys that, you know, the mistakes are magnified for them because they're not considered as good. Like Kirk cousins on the, in spite of this, again, I'm talking about our guy, Kirk, you know, if he has a bad game, if he makes decisions, it immediately goes to, well, he can't win in prime time. Like, that's like the stupidest thing I've ever seen. But there are some people that really believe, oh, it's after three o'clock, Kirk, is it going to be able to win? <laughs> you know, and he won, he won on Thanksgiving primetime night last year against the Patriots, against Bill Belichick. So, like, you have, but but it just takes, like, one mistake for him to people be off of the Kirk Cousins train. Whereas for these guys that we, we view as more talented players, and I'm part of the problem, right? Because I, like... If I'm starting a franchise, I love Kirk Cousins, but if I'm starting a franchise and I get to pick one of these, it's going to be Mahomes, it's going to be Josh Allen, you know, it might be Justin Fields even, like probably a little bit higher than him as someone else, Justin Herbert, that strong arm. Like, so I'm part of the narrative. I'm not saying I'm perfect in all this. I'm just saying that this is kind of analysis of the, of the narrative. I think the people would say t- Tennessee wins in spite of Ryan Tannehill because they have a running game and they have a hard-nosed coach and a good defense. I think for sure right now, you know, Last year, we would all respect what Kenny Pickett did as a rookie, but I don't think anyone would say the Steelers won their games because of him. Maybe a game or two, but not in general, right? Um, getting that team to a winning record and just missing on the playoffs, people would give more credit to Tomlin than anything else, and a rookie that played a little bit better. And maybe there's still – and probably Kenny Pickett actually probably should have been in that first group of too soon to tell because I don't know what the narrative is yet. I'd have to talk to my Steelers guy, Simon, um, to see to see how people view him. Because I saw him make some plays. I watched some of the Steelers games last year. He made some plays. He was gritty. He was tough. He definitely got better as the season progressed. But I don't know if he did enough to prove that, well, he's the one that's, he's the reason why they won, right? The Steelers defense was epic. Mike Tomlin's one of the best coaches of all time. So that sort of thing. Um, I would say people say the Giants win in spite of Daniel Jones. Otherwise, why has anyone surprised about his contract, right? You know, Daniel Jones won a playoff game last year. And, (laughs) And you look at his receiving core, and it's the classic case of, well, who are we going to get Daniel Jones to throw to before we say that he's a bust, right? Instead, he got a contract. So whatever that tells you, I still think the national narrative is people aren't going to look at Daniel Jones and say, oh, yeah, he's a guy that's going to take this team to victory. Mac Jones. We even said it when he was drafted. Um, Mac Jones is a guy going into the Belichick system. So Belichick's going to coach him up to be decent enough and he'll work his magic and they'll be be competitive. But no one's going to say that Mac Jones is going to lead this team to victory a week in, a week out. Baker Mayfield's an obvious one because he's now he's a journeyman at this point. Never lived up to that first-round hype. Derek Carr has had some really good numbers playing in a really tough division. And even that's not enough for people to say, yeah, he's just not there, right? People would say that he's, they're not – 
it's like the Raiders aren't successful and it's part, he's part of the problem. Like he's not willing them to the victories they do get. He's kind of part of the issues, how it was seen out of, um, at least out of Las, Las Vegas last year specifically. And we'll see, we'll see how he does in new Orleans, because I think that that team is going to be sneaky, sneaky, decent. Um, especially in the NFC South, which is wide open. Um, Russell Wilson, and this is more so because it's funny because Russell Wilson fits the mold of someone who should have been in that top tier of the win because of, but his year last year was so bad. I couldn't justify putting him in the in the camp of winning because of. I mean, the, the Broncos were competitive in spite of him last year for sure and in spite of their coaching and things like that. So Russell Wilson could be a mover this year with Sean Payton, I think, in a – and a fresh, uh, fresh, fresh start. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, he's an interesting one because on one hand, he's like the the safe guy that everyone feels better if if you have at least Jimmy Garoppolo, you feel okay because he's been solid, he's been consistent, you know. But he's he's also someone that you know is just not, you know, he's not he's never been viewed as a guy that's going to take him over. He's been viewed as the game manager, and that's kind of what I meant when I said in spite of I think I mentioned it earlier. You're winning in spite of your game manager quarterback. They're not making the plays to take you to victory, to will you to victory over a better opponent or a tough situation or any sort of adversity on the field. They are there to keep things running smoothly. And as long as things run smoothly, they can win you games. But the second things fall off is the second you say, well, they're not capable of taking this team to the next level. And then I have Geno Smith on there. I loved that Geno had a little bit of a renaissance last year. I love that. Um, I, I don't like Seattle at all. Um, my buddy and I call them the Sea Chickens. I don't know if that's offensive or not, but so the Seahawks. <laughs> but uh, you know, it was good to see a guy that's in his early 30s, who's been a career backup, actually get some some notoriety as a, as a as a good quarterback and one that was it was very good for a while and got to the playoffs. Um, but again, I'm not sure they. And I'm sure that not sure the narrative was that the, the Seahawks win because of him. Maybe for some of the games, um, but definitely, no one's expecting the Seahawks to come in next year and run the table and 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 get to the Super Bowl or anything. So, anyway, that's I think all 32 quarterbacks, at least as as it stands on July 16th, that would be starters. I might have missed one or two. Um, I tried to count, but just in case I counted wrong, I'm not a math guy. Counting to 32 could be tricky. <laughs> Um, and then you're probably thinking, we just listened to all that. And all it did was say, yeah, it's obvious you have 32 starting quarterbacks, the top 15, 16, maybe 17 are startable. Um, the rest of them, you wish you had a better one if that's your team. Um, but it was all to say that if we look at the, because of or in spite of categories, I think that cousins should be, especially last year should have been bumped into that because of category. Um, but because there's such a narrative about him, about his flaws, about his inability to to run and and make plays out of the pocket, you know, and the fact that you know, and when he when he got paid after leaving Washington, everyone said, well, his stats are so good because he's always coming from behind and and you know he's always trying to do that, and yeah, I mean last year he came from behind eight times, led the league in game winning drives, but is that his fault? I don't think so. Um, I think that. Some games, yeah, the offense wasn't perfect. Had a lot of three and outs, but our defense did did him no favors. That's for sure. And our offensive line also wasn't the best pass pro, in pass pro either. So um, I don't know why I felt the need I had to defend Kirk, but I just feel like this is – I'm trying to take a rational approach because, again, I spend a lot of time online seeing people say Kirk is the best and a lot of people saying Kirk is terrible. And I don't think either of those is true. I think that he is – at the bare minimum, a top 15 quarterback. I think last year he played like a top 10 quarterback. Is he top five? No. Is he going to be top five? No. But can you win a Super Bowl with a guy that's right around a top 10 quarterback in terms of stats and production? And I think the answer is yes. And I think that, which is why I feel confident in our team competing this year. Um, If I look at some of the numbers, I pulled some stats for this. Kirk was fourth in completions last year, fourth in total uh, total passing yards, fifth in TD passes. So those are some really good numbers in terms of production, right? Right up there with some of the elite. Our offense was close to elite. You know, he did tie for second in interceptions. But if you look further at that, he was sacked third most among uh, third most among quarterbacks. So there's the pressure factor when you talk about interceptions. And some of the other top interception throwers in the league, Pat Mahomes, 
Josh Allen, like guys that we consider these generational talents, but when they throw an interception, you know, we forgive it a lot easier than we do Kirk, right? And again, I get why people do that because they have a better chance of on their own making up for it, I suppose. But I don't think they should get a free pass for that, right? You have a guy that, you know, it's kind of like, you know, if they're going to be a gunslinger, if they're really good and they win more than they lose, we give them a lot more credit. Um, Kirk's actually in the top 25 all time with game when he drives at 28. Um, excuse me. And so I think I've repeated myself a handful of times, so I'll try to wrap this up. But I'm just kind of looking at the narrative and saying there's a little bit of a hypocrisy because, you know, people are biased towards youth. People are biased towards, um, like, elite athleticism and talent like that. But I, th- I think Kirk's der- Kirk deserves a little bit more respect when it comes to where he should be, how he should be viewed by the league, right, or people watching the league. Um, you know, he has won a game in the playoffs. And while, yeah, last year didn't end well in, against the Giants, I'm not blaming Kirk on that fourth and eight for losing us the game. Yes, that was the last play. Yes, it was a bad play. But there's no reason that if we were as good as we thought we were, there's no reason that Giants team should have been in that position. We should have been the team trying to close out them on a last-minute effort and not the other way around. Um, and so I just I just feel like you have to look at – if you can look at Kirk rationally and you can see that, yeah, he's not the best, he's not the worst – He's somewhere in between, and I think he's on the above-average side of, of in between. And I think that um, – hope or I'm hoping that we see more of that this year because uh, last year I saw Kirk Cousins that uh, was a gamer. I talked about this with some of my Vikings buddies that, you know, yeah, his numbers have always been decent. And maybe even a few years ago I might have agreed with the people that he was overpaid. But last year I saw Kirk Cousins stand in, take hits, and make just unbelievable throws under pressure. Does it help to have Justin Jefferson? 100%. But – <laughs> but that doesn't mean Kirk wasn't also doing his part. And so I think that um, going into the season, I think we have to keep a, keep a level head about Kirk Cousins and knowing that if we improve the other facets of the game, that he's going to bring a consistency that can help us um, actually win some playoff games this year. And so I can't wait to see what we do next year because he's above average, but he's flawed. So anyway, hope that didn't bore you too much. And please let me know if you heard a name in the because of or the in spite of that you disagree with wholeheartedly, let me know. Because I guarantee that in my rambling, I made some mistakes on things and maybe said some things that might change my mind on later. So who knows? But (laughs) if you made it this far, as always, appreciate you listening. Um, Again, my name is Josh. I'm just another Mike on the Vikes. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at JLimate, Mike on the Vikes on Facebook, MikeOnTheVikes.com for the blog. um, Or shoot me an email at UltimateDriveHome at gmail.com if there's nothing else. Have a great rest of your last couple hours of your Sunday evening. Enjoy the weekend. Um, we're officially only one ah, one week away from first people getting training camp. So football, folks, is almost here. Peace. <laughs>